Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with John Coleman about how we can craft more purpose into our work. John Coleman, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, John. Great to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about purpose, purpose in life, purpose in work, and how we can go about crafting more purpose into our work. I think this is super important for everyone listening, regardless of your your formal or informal titles and roles and leadership um, responsibilities. We need to take responsibility to craft our own work experience around our purpose. As leaders, we need to do the same for our teams, for our people. And so that's what we're going to be exploring and discussing together today. As we get started, I wanted to share John's bio with everybody. John Coleman is an investor, writer, and public speaker, a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review. And John and his work have been featured in Forbes, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Financial Times, the LA Times, among many other publications. He previously published Passion and Purpose in the Harvard Business Press in 2011, and How to Argue Like Jesus, uh, Crossways, press in 2009. He's a frequent public speaker and has addressed hundreds of audiences on college campuses, at conferences, and for corporations and nonprofits. And that's really just scratching the surface. Uh, There's so much more I could say, but I'm going to pause there and give you a chance to share with listeners anything else that you would like them to know about your background, your uh, personal professional background, your, your story, and then we'll launch on into the conversation. Yeah, John. So this is uh, the topic of purpose in particular is kind of a deeply personal one to me, as you might imagine. So I grew up here in Georgia, primarily, I was actually born in Florida, grew up in Georgia. Um, My dad, when I was born was a rodeo cowboy, and we lived in a single wide trailer in central Florida. And throughout my life, I really grew up with this idea that that work should be meaningful and that life should be meaningful and really searching for ways in which to fill life with greater meaning. Uh, I was fortunate to attend a small liberal arts school down here called Barry College uh, for undergraduate, which really reinforced that. Martha Barry, uh, who's a figure who's kind of forgotten today, but in her time was one of the most prominent female philanthropists of her day, had really poured her entire life into building this school for poor mountain kids at the time. And so there was this element of service and purpose that was even baked into that experience and that I kind of carried with me as I embarked on my professional journey 
and writing career. As you mentioned, I've never been a writer as my day job, so to speak. I joke with folks that I'm not very good at golf, so I have to have a hobby. So writing is, uh, is that where I spend my time. But it's also a way for me just to explore those topics that I'm wrestling with or that I'm intellectually curious about. And then my day job has, has oscillated between management consulting and asset management. So I've worked at places like McKinsey and Company and Bridgewater and Invesco, and most recently Sovereign's Capital, where I work. Um, but it's been a great combo for me, especially thinking about purpose, because I, I get to think about these topics in my own life and the lives of others. And then I get to see them play out in hundreds of different companies. And so I feel really privileged to have both of those those views. Um, And we'll dig into this more, I'm sure, but the topic of purpose in particular in my writing has been acute sense, passion, and purpose a decade ago. And it was really a question I got in that very first speaking event at the very, uh, for that book that bothered me for five years, enough so that I started writing the articles that were a predecessor to this book and to begin to really try and unpack purpose in a more sophisticated way. So that's a a brief whirlwind before we dive in into the topic more deeply, but part of why I'm so passionate about the topic. It's interesting, you know, to hear you, you share some of those, those experiences and your orientation. And I, I would say I share much of that uh, same kind of orientation and similar aspects to my story as well. Uh, and in why I feel like purpose is so essential. It's something I write about that I talk about a lot. Um, and it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I've had this debate actually with, with um, other colleagues, um, both at the university, as well as, you know, that I do consulting with. And on the one hand, I, and I totally get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. The argument is made, you know, when we say things like have meaning and purpose in your work, or you should do work that you love. Um, that sounds great. And most people say, yeah, I, I want that. Uh, but in no way are we trying to take away from people doing any work, right? Doing, yeah. doing an honest day's work is, has intrinsic and extrinsic value. Uh, yes. and, and we don't want to take away from that. So any, you know, and, and I don't get to tell you what's meaningful and purposeful yeah. for you. Right. That's and right. so I, I wouldn't ever try to do that. And I don't want to suggest to others, that, you know, they always need to be looking for greener pastures and like feeling so underwhelmed by the work that they're doing, that they need to go find something else that really lightens up their life, you know, like, part of what I think I often say to people, I suggest, I suspect this will come out in what you share as well, is so much of what we can do is just taking responsibility for aligning our meaning and purpose, wherever we are. So lifting where you stand, Whatever circumstance you're in, whatever your sphere of influence that you're in, you have an opportunity to align with meaning and purpose in the work that you do or in the, the work in your team and, and helping others around you to do the, to do the same. Um, and so I, I want to say that from the off the outset um, as a bit of a caveat for this entire conversation. Of course, I see you nodding your head so I can tell you agree. And, uh, and ultimately, there there is meaning in all types of work. I've done yes. all types of work. I've picked beans in a field. I've worked in call centers. I've worked in factories. I've done, you know, I've done all the menial labor types of jobs uh, before I ever became a professor or a consultant. And, and there's meaning and value in all of that work. And, and oh. I, and I 
am glad I've had those experiences. I'm also glad I'm not doing them anymore, yeah. but I, but I, but I respect and honor people who do that work. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, am starting to kick the dead horse here, but, uh, but yeah. laying, laying out there from the, the get go, I think is important. Um, yeah. Response. And Cause I see you nodding the whole time. I'm, I'm totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And in fact, um, in the book, our very first example, our introduction to the topic is, a bus driver named Curtis Jenkins down in Dallas, who's like one of the most purposeful guys in the world. And a big part of why I wrote this book was because I think we hold on to a fundamental misconception about purpose as a society that leads to incredible angst and an inc uh, incredible set of misperceptions about the ways in which we can get purpose. Uh, I, I kind of call it the Hollywood uh, vision of purpose sometimes. And and again, the very first uh, group that I did when we launched Passion and Purpose years ago, a young lady stood up, very first question, and asked me, how do I find my purpose, right? A uh, question I shouldn't have anticipated. I didn't. I had no good answers for it. Um, but what I began to realize over five years was that I thought uh, the question itself, which I had often asked myself, was wrong, Right. The idea that there's some big purpose with a capital P, this, this one profession or this one pursuit that will change our lives, was actually the source of so much anxiety and angst and disillusionment in our society. It's, it's Hollywood because it's the hero's journey. It's every story you've watched, whether it's Neo in the Matrix or Ray in the new Skywalker series, where the hero is, is living out some unfulfilled life. And then something just comes out of the sky and gives their life meaning, right? Puts them on a big journey. And I find that that's what a lot of people think of when they think of purpose is I got to get this lightning's got to strike. I've got to find this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And my life's going to be meaningless if I don't find this one pursuit uh, to transform it. And I think instead that, that that causes us more problems than it helps to solve. And I think that misconception is at the root of why so many people are dissatisfied, why so many people leave one job only to end up in a more uh, in another unfulfilling job, why people leave relationships that then become unfulfilling in their next relationship. And um, the way I talk about it in the book is, is three fundamental myths. One is that purpose is a single, or I'm sorry, that purpose is a thing that you find. And I think that purpose is something you build, right? And part of the, the, the effort of the book is to restore agency to individuals who are seeking purpose. Uh, it's not something you're just going to stumble across, at least for most of us, but it exists in the framework of everything we have around us, whether it's our work or our personal relationships or our community involvement. Uh, the challenge for us is to really mine those experiences for that different source of meaning and cultivate it, to build it into what we do. The second myth I think people hold on to is this idea that purpose is a single thing, right? And I think that's incredibly destructive because even if you find something that's really purposeful, uh, what happens if that purposeful thing goes away? If you lose your job, if you lose that relationship, then your whole identity collapses, right? You're, you're literally without meaning if that happens. And instead, I think that purpose is plural. It's around us all the time. It's in your relationship with your kids. It's in the hobbies that you pursue. It's your relationships at work. It's the, the different crafts that you take on at work. And then the third myth that I try and deconstruct is that purpose is stable over time. You know, how do I find my purpose? Mark Twain is often false, falsely attributed the quote, the two greatest days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And that's like really romantic, right? But it indicates that there's this like one thing that will transform the rest of your life. 
And instead, I think that we go through natural changes in purpose over time. So the, the ways I get meaning as a high schooler or a college student or a new employee are different than when I'm mature in my career are different than when I seek a second career or enter retirement. And that instead of learning to resist those or to uh, experience anxiety about those, that we should actually embrace those shifts. And so I think I entirely agree with, with what you're saying, which is anybody anywhere right now has a meaningful life. It's just that we've been trained not to see it, right? And I think that if we learn to see it, we can then take agency over cultivating it into something that's even more meaningful and creating a life that's more flourishing. We need to look for the good in any situation we find ourselves in. And that's yes. not to, that's not to um, suggest that there aren't really horrible situations and pain. And, and if you're in abusive relationships, you need to get out of there yes. and, and so yes. on and so forth. Right. Sure. If you're in a, if you're in a workplace for sure with an, an abusive boss, get out of there. For sure. Um, but you know, if we're not talking about toxic, unhealthy relationships, toxic, unhealthy, um, you know, places, then let's look for the good. Let's look for the opportunities. And in every place that we find ourselves, there's going to be opportunities to lift and serve those around us. There's going to be opportunities to learn and grow new things. And both of those uh, alone provide so many opportunities to, to, derive meaning and purpose in the work that we do, not to mention all the other things and developing our skills and feeling that we have, you know, increased competencies and capabilities. And I mean, there's just so many things. And the reality is that everyone has different salient drivers and, and meaning and purpose looks different again for, for me than it does maybe for you or for, you know, 10 other people walking down the street and that's okay. Like we we don't want to be clones of each other. That that would make for a super boring world. And so I'm glad that there are people that love to do things that I hate to do. Um, I, I sometimes share this, you know, I switched majors a bunch of times uh, as an undergrad student. And part of it was me trying to find myself and try to figure out like, what do I like to do? Well, I was an accounting major. So one of the iterations was I was an accounting major and I was actually really good at it. And I was in a really great program. Um, You know, I, if I would have completed that program, I would have been guaranteed a stable career, a successful career. The only problem was, and and gratefully I, I learned that I actually hated doing it. And so yeah. I couldn't see myself doing it. I'm glad I didn't do that. Does that mean that anyone who thinks accounting is awesome is delusional? Of course not. Like I'm glad there are really competent, capable accountants out there who love doing their job. I'm so grateful for that because that means I don't have to do it <laughs> and, right. and someone else can do it for me. And, and that's just one example of hundreds, thousands of examples, right? Um, and, and so when we can recognize that there is an opportunity for purpose, any single place we may be, um, where we can look for the good, you know, leave the bad, try to be a positive change and, 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 and make up for the, the, the challenging issues or the, uh, those sorts of things that we may find in our organization, or whatever, try to be the change you want to see in the world, look for the good, lift those yeah. around you, man, when we do that, our impact is going to be exponential over time and talk about meaning and purpose. I I think that's what so many people want. There's been lots of surveys, for example, uh, of, of millennials and Gen Z workers and what they want in their careers, what they want in work. And so many of them disproportionately, so many of them really say that purpose, meaning and purpose and being able to make an impact in the world is one of their top things. 
Yes. Okay, let's let's help them get there. As leaders, I know I have this new this passionate person coming into my team who has all this drive, who has wants to change the world. Okay, what can I do to help them discover that within themselves, discover what their talents are, discover their strengths and how they can make a meaningful sustainable impact with their team, with the world around them. Man, it, talk about how I can really leverage the people on my team as a yes. leader through purpose. So, so many, so many different facets of this. Um, and I, and I love the three key points that you just shared. Check out my new book, the future leader creating and transforming next gen organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, the future leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy, courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Well, and to pick up on what you're saying, a lot of great topics buried within there. I mean, you're absolutely right that not just millennials and Gen Zers, but most people, the majority of people in the world really want some sense of meaning and purpose in their jobs. When we wrote passion and purpose targeting millennials about 10 years ago, the number one factor in choosing a job was some sense of meaning, accomplishment, and purpose in that work. And yet, if you look at global surveys right now, on a global basis, only 15% of people feel engaged at work. In the US, that's a bit higher, closer to about 30%. Um, but there's this stark contrast between people really wanting purpose and meaning in their work and finding it incredibly difficult to achieve that. And I do think that's partially um, because we're just thinking about it in the wrong ways and companies are thinking about it in the wrong ways. You, you mentioned not only that it's okay for people to have different sources of purpose, but I think it's absolutely essential. You know, the most intricate and marvelous thing in the world is the individual human being. Each of us is different than the others. Each person is, is incredibly unique. Each person has different motivations and values and uh, interests. And so trying to craft something one size fits all for an entire group, even the size of a company, I think is a fruitless endeavor. 
And what I find companies do that goes wrong is they'll, they'll start with why, you know, Simon Sinek got everybody thinking about that. And so they'll craft a company purpose and uh, they'll release it to the world and they'll think, okay, now everybody's got a purpose, but they don't think about how to connect that company purpose to the real sources of meaning that are diverse and unique to every individual in that company. They think, ah, I got this like sentence that'll give everybody guidance, but they don't think like, what does that mean to Elise in accounting? What does that mean to Sherry in HR? What does that mean to Adam, you know, in the, in the general management of this business in Salt Lake? And they don't think about how that can play out in their lives. And then on the employee side or on the, the individual side, people don't think about how to transform their work into something they find more meaningful. Um, in the management literature, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, part of this is referred to as job crafting. It's the idea of taking the job you have and making it the job you want, essentially, by tweaking the things that you're doing. Um, again, the very first example, if people think, oh, my career, I can't, I can't do this in the book, is, is this astounding guy I, I met over writing this book called Curtis Jenkins, uh, was a bus driver in the Dallas School District. And uh, got covered by the news was how I encountered him. I found a little YouTube video about his experience. And they were covering how he had created what they called a yellow bus utopia on his school bus. So, you know, school bus driver is a hard job. I was on a school board for a while. It's thankless. Kids can be rough on school buses. You know, you're sitting a lot. And you can view your job as just like putting your head down and getting from point A to point B uh, to drop the kids off. Curtis reconceptualized his job as being the first adult that the kids encountered every day when they went to school and the last adult that they encountered when they came home at night. And he viewed that school bus as a way in which to create a community that could help those individual kids flourish at a really challenging point in life, regardless of what their family life was like or their school life was like. So he assigned everybody on the bus titles. They'd be the secretary or the president or you know all these different things. He'd dig into their backgrounds and learn about their interests. He, he found out, for example, one, one girl was really promising in art and brought him one of her pictures. He then got that screen printed onto a t-shirt that she could wear to show off her art. You know, he's always doing these little things just to try and uplift these kids and, and um, help them to experience greater happiness and meaning in their own lives. And it's an example of where, you know, he took this job that could be terrible, honestly, and he converted it into a job that's changed literally hundreds or thousands of individual lives. Some of these kids were crying, talking about how they wished he was their dad. And, and it was just a reminder for me that no matter what we're doing, like I'm privileged to work in jobs that people admire actually, or want to be a part of, like there is no job on this earth, almost with, with maybe a few exceptions that can't be full of meaning. If we, if we learn to see it and if we really take responsibility for transforming it into a way to serve others, uh, to try and do good in the world and to try and accomplish a craft, to do something with, with great skill that other people might overlook. Yeah. And I really like that bus driver example, because again, it, it, it demonstrates how any seemingly insignificant, seemingly menial type of job can actually end up having all sorts of, of additional value. Uh, and we can create that environment. Uh, and I remember back to when I was a, a, a young student going on school buses and I remember hating going on the school bus, Yes, um, yeah. you know, for a variety of reasons. And, and in part, just especially in, uh, in junior high, 
man, it's kind of junior high is a rough time. It's brutal. <laughs> it's it's brutal. a brutal time. And so <laughs> you, any chance you have to give kids, um, give kids meaningful mentor relationships with good adults who treat them well, treat them um, with care, with respect, man, I mean, that's, that's so valuable. And that, that this individual took that upon himself to, to create that environment. That's fantastic. How can we do that in any type of job that we find ourselves in? Um, the, the reality is those opportunities are there. And, and I just love, I love the creativity in that example that you provided. Let's think about our own jobs, how we can do that. Let's think about members of our team. There, there are always aspects of the work that we do that we may not love. Um, I, I've joked on the podcast before, you know, I'm a professor and I love my job. I don't love grading papers. That's like <laughs> not my favorite. Um, it's a necessary evil. You know, I, I like giving feedback that's meaningful that students can take yes. and they will value and that will help them improve. I do like that. But, you know, I have to be honest, if I'm grading a stack, I, I say stack of papers is all digital now. But if I'm grading papers, you know, it's, it's a little tedious, um, not my favorite thing but I have to do it. Like that's part of the job yep. and everyone has those things. Um, the question isn't, do you have some things you don't like about your job? Yep. Um, the question is, are there ways that you can take even some of those more mundane menial types of tasks, yep. perhaps take them away via technology so that we can spend yep. more time focusing on, on uh, what is going to be most impactful, whatever the case may be. If, if I'm a leader, look at the jobs of the individuals on your team talk to them about what their drivers are, what would be meaningful to them. Look for ways to craft their work in a way yep. that will provide more intrinsic value to what they're doing uh, and, and help them to feel empowered to make something yep. more of the job that they're doing. And if we can do right. that, it'll make all the difference in the world. Yeah. You hit on a couple of topics I think are incredibly important. Um, as I tried to distill it, I really think that any person can approach at least four areas of trying to make their job more meaningful. We started with the, the idea of, of craft your work, which is the first. And um, the other three in my mind are to make work a craft, to connect your work to service, and to invest in meaningful relationships. So the idea of crafting your work is what we talked about. Take the job you have, make it the job you want. Delegate tasks that aren't up your alley. Find new ways to do them that's more meaningful. Uh, take on additional tasks with that free time that you find more meaningful as Curtis did, or um, there are some other great stories we could get into. The second that I think we've really lost is to, to make work a craft. So a little play on words, but you know, there used to be this, this idea of craftsmanship in most professions, whether you are a farmer or a cobbler or a leather worker or an iron worker, you know, it was a craft. You perfected it. Sometimes over generations, people would do this for multiple family generations. And it would seem monotonous, but what they got joy in was this idea of truly perfecting their activities. And I find that, that today, a lot of us feel less meaningful because we don't look at our job or the activities within it as an opportunity for craft to take something, whatever it is, maybe it's even grading, and you know, learn to approach that to try and be the best that we can possibly be in that. I remember uh, to show you how big a nerd I am, an example from my own life was early in my career, I built a lot of financial models, Excel models, and I nerded out on them. I not only wanted to have the most elegant formulas, the easiest to use models, I built macros and 
you know, the clients would come in and press a button and it would run different scenarios for them. And I tried to make sure my formulas were as short as possible within this, the cells. I didn't want to just get it done. I wanted to get it done elegantly. And then I would even worry about the fonts and the layout. Like I viewed that Excel model as my like, uh, you know, statue of David to Michelangelo. Like I wanted to hand something off that people would open and go, oh my gosh, you know, and, and that sounds probably crazy to a lot of people on, uh, on the podcast, but there's something like that for all of us where we can just learn to take pride and meaning from perfecting something. So for me, that's making work a craft. Uh, and then the final two parts are connecting your work to service, which, um, you know, if you look at all the social science research, one of the only things, the next thing is the other thing that's common amongst all the research studies is that those who engage in acts of service are happier and more fulfilled than those who don't. That if you spend your time volunteering on a river cleanup or at a homeless shelter, if you help someone out, you get, not only do you do good in the world, so it's intrinsically good, but you get these remarkable feelings of fulfillment, right? And doing things for others. And in any job, there's opportunities for service. Unfortunately, we start to look at our jobs often as competitive, right? We're competing with other employees. We're avoiding work. We have grudges against people in the workforce. And instead, I, I say, and, and we even talk about the different, the six different areas in which you can find service, that you need to find those opportunities for service of your partners, of your colleagues, of your clients that can give you that sense of fulfillment, and then the final thing I encourage people to do at work is to invest in positive relationships. So if you look at the number one determinant of happiness in people's lives, it's the depth and breadth of their positive relationships. Martin Seligman has written about this, the founder of Positive Psychology, uh, the longest standing uh, longitudinal research study in the world, the Harvard Grant Study, which is, uh, I believe, about 80 years old at this point. They've been following the lives of these young men. Um, when the researcher who followed something like north of 400 young men for their entire lives, uh, from 20, 20 something to death, uh, he was asked to summarize the results of the research study. And he said, happiness is love full stop. That when he looked at the most happy and fulfilled people that he found in the survey, the number one determinant of happiness in their lives was the depth and breadth of their positive relationships. And I think work is no exception to that. You know, we, especially now that it's virtual and it's so much harder uh, for many people, learning to invest in people, to build relationships, to have meaningful relationships um, can be, can be one of the most remarkable sources of meaning you can experience professionally. So, um, you know, kind of to your point, those are four things I like to highlight that absolutely anyone in any profession can do in their jobs that I think will make it, make it more fulfilling. Wonderful. Thank you so much, John. Wonderful insights, wonderful tips. I really, really encourage listeners to reach out and to, to find out more about your work. Uh, before we wrap up, if you can share with us how people can connect with you, yeah. where they can find out more about your work, where they can find your books, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, gosh, blame HBR. I've had to develop a multi-channel marketing approach. So I'm all over Twitter and LinkedIn and all these things. Probably the best place if you want to learn more, I've got a website, johnwilliamcoleman.com, uh, where you can find uh, all my stuff. You could Google me too, at Google John Coleman and uh, HBR Guide to Crafting Your Purpose, and the website will come up. The book is available everywhere, Amazon or your favorite bookseller. Um, I have a newsletter, a free newsletter on Substack that people can subscribe to. And then through the website, I also have an opportunity to contact me if you want to do interviews or if you'd like me to come speak somewhere. Uh, so, uh, so love to hear from people and would love it if people would reach out and certainly, uh, 
would love if anyone wanted to buy a copy or a thousand copies of the book as an author, you're, you're always hopeful for that. So, <laughs> and thank you, John, for this, this time to talk about it today. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we could say. You're welcome back anytime to continue the conversation. Um, to, for today, though, thank you so much for all that you shared so freely of your time and wisdom with me and my listeners. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected. And as always, I hope everyone can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day that you can stay healthy and safe. And I hope everyone has a great week. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon even at the producer and sponsorship levels. 
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.